We'll continue in our study, follow me, walk through the Gospel of Luke, our 25th week. And so we're going to continue in the Sermon on the Level, and the title this morning is The Conduct of King's Kids. The Conduct of King's Kids. Let me ask you, how many of you would love to hear Jesus preach a sermon? You see how fast hands went up? But I wonder if we really are that eager. One pastor said this, he said, if you're looking for a nice, comfortable religion that doesn't call for too many demands on your life, makes you feel better when you're down, and will reserve luxury sweets for you in heaven when you die, you probably shouldn't try to be one of Jesus' disciples. In other words, He's demanding, amen? Take up your cross and follow me. And last time we began to examine one of Jesus' sermons, Sermon on the Level, and we said it's radical, radical preaching. He said, blessed are you who are poor. Woe to you who laugh now. Today He's going to tell us, love your enemies. Next time He's going to say, judge not, you'll not be judged, you hypocrite. Get the log out of your eye. And then later, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Again, this isn't just good word, preacher Jesus. This is a way of life. Jesus expects us to live radical lives for Him. Over the next few weeks as we finish up examining Jesus' Sermon on the Level, we're going to look at what it means to look like our Heavenly Father. And that's the reason for the title, King's Kids. You ever heard it said, like father, like son, like mother, like daughter? Any of you blessed to have a mini-me? A kid that looks just like you? No. No. <laughs> well, I says no, nine months of carrying that kid around and many hours of labor and he looks like his daddy. So. Um, you ever said, well, he looks like me, but he acts like his mom or daddy? <laughs> Have you ever commented to one of your kids or grandkids, you know, he walks or laughs or holds his mouth just like Grandpa used to? Physically, kids look and act like who a lot of times? Their parents. Spiritually, the same should be true of us, right? 2 Peter 1.4, it says that we are partakers of divine nature. So as kids, kids, we ought to reflect the attributes of our Heavenly Father. Next time, we're going to look at our character this morning, our conduct, and it should be one of supernatural love. So stand with me to honor the reading of God's Word. Luke chapter 6. Verses 27 to 36. Jesus said, But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. To one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you, and from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them, and if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great. And you'll be sons of the Most High, for He is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. 
the Word of God to the people of God preached in the power of the Spirit of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word. Father, we thank You as difficult as it may be sometimes, the words that we find therein, we know that we can obey them in the power of the Holy Spirit. And Father, we dare not take Jesus' words uh, and know the seriousness of them and what He has called us to in this radical life that is Christianity. And so, Father, I pray that You would teach us today not just to love those who love us, but to love our enemies, Father, that through us, Your uh, goodness and Your mercy can be made known to the nations. We ask this now in the wonderful, precious name of Jesus. Amen. So we're going to look at three different things. The new love perceived, and then the new love ethic declared, and it explains. So first, the new love ethic perceived. Our first order of business before we get into this is to put on our purple sunglasses and get a proper coloring of Jesus' words. So four things, if you want to take notes. We asserted last time, and again this morning, 2 Timothy 3.12, those who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Remember what I said, even a dead dog can swim with the tide. So if you've ever tried to swim against the tide, you know what happens? You bump into people. And so we're going to bump into people. Jesus said that we are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. Well, what does salt do to a wound? It stings. You ever got it in your eyes? It stings. What does light do? It exposes darkness. It exposes sin. So the world is going to avoid us. The world is going to reject us, insult us, hate us. And Scripture teaches us we shouldn't be surprised. What did Jesus say in John chapter 15, verse 18? He said, if the world hates you, know that it has what? Hated me before it hated you. And then just a few verses later in chapter 16, verse 2, He said, they're going to kick you out of the synagogues. The hour's coming when they will kill you and think they're offering service to God. Now we're not to that point yet in America, but we're probably getting pretty close. And so we shouldn't be surprised that when we're salt and light and we're stinging and we're exposing darkness that the world doesn't like us and they're going to hate us. But the thing is, number two, my response is my responsibility. And so hatred by me towards other people that are lost only breeds more hatred. And really all it shows is just my old fleshly nature. The old Buffy Cook is all that is. To love my enemies, do good to them, pray for them is a supernatural response. The only way you can do that is in the power of the Holy Spirit. Look at Romans 5, 5. Romans 5, 5 says, And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So that's how we ought to live and act. Not to mention what does Paul say in Galatians chapter 5. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger. 
And so when we just have more hatred, we're working and living in the flesh. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And then number three, Jesus' words here are not just more rules to be obeyed. Don't go home and just put on an index card, love your enemy, and tape it to your mirror and expect that this is just some other rule of Jesus that I've been given that I've got to obey. It's an attitude of the heart. After all, where is it that you and I are the sickest? In our heart. Jeremiah 17.9 says that the heart is what? Desperately sick. Who could know it? You know the number one thing that kills people physically in this country? Heart disease. You know the number one thing that kills us spiritually? is the same. Heart disease. So we need to bring an attitude of the heart to these words. And then fourth, Jesus isn't calling us to check our brains at the door. Right? This should be heart-filled, but it ain't mindless. Look at John chapter 18. John 18, 22 and 23, When he, Jesus, had said these things, one of the officers standing by struck Jesus with his hand, saying, Is that how you answer the high priest? Jesus answered him, If what I said is wrong, bear witness about the wrong, but if what I said is right, why do you strike me? In Acts 16, Paul, it says, When it was day, the magistrates sent the police, saying, Let those men go. And the jailer reported these words to Paul, saying, The magistrates have sent to you to let you go. Therefore, come out now and go in peace. But Paul said to them, They, the magistrates, have beaten us publicly, uncondemned, men who are Roman citizens and have thrown us into prison. And do they now throw us out secretly? No, you let them come themselves and take us out. The police reported these words to the magistrates, and they were afraid when they heard they were Roman citizens. So they came and apologized to them. So we don't just check our brain at the door when Jesus says, Love your enemy. Alright, so that's the love ethic of supernatural love perceived. Now let's look at it declared. Look at what Jesus says here in verse 27. Notice the first thing He says. Is it love your enemies? What's the first thing He says? Look at the text. But I say to you who hear. It's akin to he who has an ear, let him hear. Because true hearing does result in what? Obedience. I mean, look at what Jesus says in verse 46. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and you don't do what I tell you? Jesus is interested in hearing that results in obedience. I thought about as I was getting ready for this message, think about this as a perfect illustration for it. Do your kids ever do this? You tell them to do something, and then two minutes later, they're still laying on the couch. And then you tell them the exact same thing you just told them, and what do they say? I heard you the first time. Well, you're still laying on the couch. You didn't hear me the first time because true hearing results in what? Obedience. Here's a whole message in itself because there's a lot of Christians that Jesus has told them different things to do in their life and they're still laying on the couch and Jesus is saying, I told you, have you not read? And they're saying, I heard you the first time. 
And Jesus is saying, well, if you truly heard me, you'd be up off of the couch doing what I told you to do. And so, true king's kids here so as to do. So look at him. He looks him square in the eye and look at what he says to him. 27 to 28. Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. Do you know of any commandment of Jesus that has had more discussion and debate than love your enemies? Uh, you're probably hard-pressed to find one. But before we can obey it, we've got to kind of know what it means. I've said it before, but when we say, I love chocolate chip cookies, hopefully we don't mean that I love chocolate chip cookies in the same way in which I say I love my kids or I love my wife, right? And so our one word doesn't capture a lot of this. So there were four Greek words uh, for love. So what Jesus is commanding is an unnatural love. He did not command storge, which is natural affection, a parental or childly love. He did not command eros, which is romantic love. He didn't command philia, which is brotherly love. He demanded agape love. So what you read here is this, agape your enemies. Dr. Barclay says that the word agape needs a whole paragraph to even translate this one word. We could sit here and have a whole sermon for two hours on the word agape or longer than that. It was a rare word in normal Greek then. And it really just came about through uh, the New Testament. And so it's a kind of love that doesn't serve itself. It seeks the other person's good over itself. And it's not motivated by the merit of the person who is being loved. Now this may be you know, kind of stretching it, but I was thinking about this. Think of it this way. Two M's as it being marital love or mother-in-law love. The way you would love your mother-in-law, the way sometimes you have to express love inside a marriage, right? Do you always want to love that person that you wake up beside in the bed? Sometimes you want to slap them upside the head. Why are they still snoring? So these other loves come naturally. Think about it. Parents love and care for us. So what's just the natural response for us to do? Love them back. Think about arrows. Just immediate chemistry. You remember the first time you met your mate and you just fell in love? We say that it's just natural to fall in love, right? Think about brotherly love. You ever met somebody and said, that guy or that girl, that is you know, a really nice guy. And I could really see us becoming friends. It's just natural for you to become friends. Agape goes against natural stuff. It's a willful love. I love what... Uh, Mason said, he said this, love, agape, is a deep, continuous, growing, and ever-renewing activity of the will superintended by the Holy Spirit. That's what agape love says. I will love this person because by God's grace I'm going to choose to love them. And so look at what Jesus says, love your enemies. Turn to Matthew chapter 5. Because you see, Jesus' disciples had never heard anything like this. When we were in Yosemite, we took many, many panoramic pictures. You know, instead of zeroing in on the mountain, you could just take a panorama of all of it. And so Jesus, what the Old Testament says, look at what He says here in verse 43, Matthew 5, 43, 45. Jesus goes panorama mode. 
You have heard that it was said you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. There's the small picture. Jesus zooms back and says, this is what supernatural love in my disciples looks like. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. Why should you love your enemies? Because God makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. Let me ask you, does God love His enemies? We just were talking in Sunday school about a person that's an atheist. The moment someone decides they're an atheist, does God annihilate them? Someone that's an agnostic, does God say, well, that's it, you're not getting any more food, so He starves them to death? Does God send rain on countries that are full of jihadists? Yes. And so let me ask you, as King's kids, as Christ's disciples, do we truly love our enemies? According to our social media, our Facebook and our tweets, we do not. But think about it. Let's scale it back. Because I want you to think about who even are our enemies. Number one, folks that can't stand you. That hate or despise you. And you say, oh, like ISIS? Yeah, like ISIS. But also, it might be somebody that's close to you. It might be a parent. It might be a son or a daughter. It might be a co-worker. It might be an enemy of God that's just got it out for you. It might be somebody you exposed and now they're out to get you. Can you picture anybody? Now I want you to keep going. Because could it be that somebody that hates you is a brother or sister in Christ? You say, oh no. Do your head like that. You know. <clears throat> picture somebody. And so what does Jesus say? Agape them. Love them. Other is, not just folks that can't stand you, it's folks that you can't stand. It's folks that you do want to slap. It's folks that you do want to get on Facebook and post hateful things about. Folks that make your blood boil. You picture anybody? Now keep going. Could it be a brother or sister in Christ that you don't like and you can't stand? You betcha. You see, Jesus is going, He's not just saying, look, think of your enemy as somebody out there you know, who's got an RPG and wants to blow up your house because you love Jesus and they worship the Koran. In the household of God, unfortunately, we have enemies ourselves and we treat our own brothers and sisters like enemies. And they do the same to us. If you could see Paul's body from a spiritual perspective, the amount of scars that that brother had. Think about John in 3 John. What does he say? This diatrephes guy has got it out for me. And all he does is talk bad about me and evil about me and I've done nothing to deserve it. Do you know that some of the deepest scars that your pastor has, and I'm sure you probably have as well, are at the hands and feet and the mouth of your own brothers and sisters in Christ. But we have to love each other even sometimes we don't like each other. I've told my kids, look, I'm not always going to like you. And you ain't always going to like me. And guess what? I don't really care if you don't always like me because i got plenty of friends. I'm not your friend. I'm your daddy. 
we're not going to always like each other, but we're always going to love each other. And brothers and sisters, that is some good advice for us inside the household of God. Alright, look, so how do we do that? How do we practically do that? Well, Jesus points it out here. Supernatural love results in three things. One, unnatural deeds. He says, do good to those who hate you. Now I want you to picture that someone that hates you or you don't really like. Now I want you to think about them doing something nice to you or you doing something nice to them. Does that seem completely unnatural? Absolutely. Can and must it be done? Absolutely. And so, let me ask you, as King's kids, do we do good to those who hate us? Typically not. What we do is we pile coals on their head for them, right? Instead of doing good for them so that they're shame, we pile coals on their own head. Does Jesus mean that we need to do good to atheists? Does he need to, we need to do good to members of the LGBTQ community who hate us? What about blacks and whites? No matter what side of the fence we're on. What I see is left wing, right wing, Republicans, Democrats. We hate each other along all manner of lines in this country. But we still need to do good to those that don't like us. Alright, so unnatural deeds. Second is unnatural words. Look at what he says. Bless those who curse you. Now, I don't know about you, but there ain't much more to get your blood boiling than when folks start cussing you out, especially if uh, you hadn't done anything to deserve it. Right? So if somebody starts cussing you out, what do you actually want to start doing? Cussing them out in return, don't you? And sometimes we get in the fleshly nature and do it. But what we've got to understand, brothers and sisters, is three things. Number one, we've talked about it over and over. Lost folks at what? Lost. Lost. I had a conversation with a uh, patient this last week and he was talking about uh, that he raises up turkeys you know, that have been uh, an orphan and things like that. And he said, well, people say, man, you're raising these things up and then they're going to get out in the wild and they're not even going to know how to take care of themselves and eat. He said, no, that's not true because a turkey's nature is to eat grass. And you let it out of the pen, you know what it's going to start doing? Eating grass. You know why? Because it's a turkey. You know why lost people act lost? Because it's in their nature and they're lost. So we shouldn't get upset when they then heap things upon us because guess what? That's how lost people act. And then second, we need to understand that life and death are in the power of the tongue. Turn to Proverbs 18, 21. Death and life are in the power of the tongue and those who love it will eat its fruits. You want to read about uh, the tongue for time's sake? Won't go there, but read James 3 today. What did James say? It's a little spark, this little thing we got back here. We need to cage it inside our mouth a lot of times, don't we? That one little spark out of this thing would set a whole forest on fire. And third, brothers and sisters, we are called to a higher calling than to heap hate back on people that heap hate on us. Do you think God blesses folks that let uh, uh, blasphemies go left and right? Yes. It says that He sends rain on the just and the unjust. And so do we bless or curse those who curse us as king kids? Again, our social media accounts tell a lot about us. 
Supernatural love results in unnatural deeds, words, and then prayers. Look at what he says. Pray for those who abuse you. And I don't know about you, but when folks start abusing me, you know what I want to do? I want to go all Peter on them, start pulling out swords and lopping off ears and heads and all pre-Jesus Buffy. Right? Eye for eye. I'm going to pray, all right. I'm going to pray I don't kill you in the next five minutes. But you know the greatest thing that we can do for another human being is what? Pray for them. If somebody is lost, yes, share the gospel with them, but the greatest thing you can do for that person is pray for them. Because until the Holy Spirit uh, makes a dead man alive, you can talk to a dead man in the cemetery all day long, and you know what? He ain't going to listen to you. And second, it's impossible to truly pray for somebody and hate them at the same time, ain't it? That's right. And what does our negative response do? It just robs me of joy and peace. And really it gives Satan a toehold and that's all he needs. He don't need a foothold, he needs a toehold. Amen? Does God pray for those who abuse Him? He did at least once. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And so He calls us to unnatural deeds, unnatural words, and unnatural prayers. And it's a command to super natural love, but it's also one of unconventional love. Look at what Jesus says in verses 29 to 30. The one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also, and from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you, and from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. So, conventional responses, instead of unconventional or supernatural responses, took two main patterns. One, the raw pagan response. Well, if you take my shirt, then you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to chop off your hand. If you slap me, I'm going to break your neck. Are there not still laws like this today? If you go to a Muslim country and you steal a shirt, what's going to happen to your hand? Off. That's the raw pagan response. The ancient Hebrew response was better. It was the law of retaliation. Well, it was equitable. You take an eye, then you get an eye. A hand, a hand. A foot, a foot. Jesus goes way beyond that and says to turn the other cheek and give all to those who ask. But now what some people have done is failed to understand that this is hyperbole. That Jesus had a sense of humor. Do you get that? Jesus was fully human. And so He teaches in hyperbole. We use hyperbole all the time. You ever said this? I've done that a million times. Well, have you really done that a million times? No. You may have said, well, man, I died laughing. Well, if you died laughing, how are you still here, right? So, look at what Jesus... I mean, think about some of the other ways Jesus used hyperbole. Matthew 5. If your hand causes you to sin, what? Cut it off. Did He literally mean cut off your hand? And then in Matthew 19, he says, for a rich person to make it into heaven is like a camel going through a needle. So if a rich person is going to go to heaven, is a camel going to literally have to go through a needle? No, he's talking about an impossibility. In Luke 6, here uh, next week, we'll look at a log in the eye. Does he literally mean somebody's running around with a log in their eye? He's talking about clear judgment. In Luke 14, he says, unless you hate your mother and your father. So is Jesus calling us to literally hate our mama and our daddy? No. He's talking about absolute commitment. So the same thing here. What he's calling for is radical agape love. 
He isn't saying just let, you know, we should just fire Jimmy and, you know, just let criminals run around Tipton County and just do all the violence that they want. And so if somebody robs you, don't call the popo. It's okay. Just let them have all your stuff. He's not saying you can't have a gun in your house and defend your own home. He's not condoning that somebody's getting assaulted. You just go, well, Jesus said, you know, turn the other cheek. And so, well, all right, now he's had four licks. Now let me jump in there and help him out. He's not outlawing just war or calling us to be a bunch of pansies as Christians, is he? But people have taken this literally. And I've told you, I'll give you some verses earlier. John 18 and Acts 16. It's not a literal turning. It's the heart and the spirit of Jesus' intention here. Is Jesus say, you've got to give to every beggar and con man that you see on the side of the road that has a sign that says, I need money. If the Holy Spirit tells you to, you better obey the Holy Spirit, right? But He's called us to be good stewards of our money. I love what Dr. Morris said. He said this, if Christians took this one absolutely literally there would soon be a class of saintly paupers owning nothing and another of prosperous idlers and thieves. It is not this that Jesus is seeking, but a readiness among his followers to give and give and give. Why? Because God is long-suffering. Does God turn the other cheek to folks who really repeatedly punch him in the jaw? Yep. Does he give and give and give to folks who rob him of the glory that is due to him. He did for me for 29 years. We call it common grace. And so look at the next thing. The whole sum of this, this ultimate expression can be found in what's called the golden rule. Look at verse 31. As you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. Now there's lots of pre-Christian forms of this, but what is significant is that all of them were negative. Halil, who was one of the great Jewish rabbis, he was asked by a man to teach him the whole law while he stood on one leg. So the whole law while he's standing on one leg. And this is what he said, What is hateful to thee, do not to another. That is the whole law and all else is explanation. So they're all negative, but look at what Jesus is. Jesus is what? Positive. It's not just we refrain from doing bad stuff, it's that we actively then do good stuff. As you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. Now, if y'all listen to these words of Jesus, how many of you say this is impossible? We ought to all have our hand up, amen? It's impossible. I can't do this, Jesus. And we are correct. I can't. But the Holy Spirit, Jesus living in us, can. Alright, final thing, the new love ethic explained. Look at verses 32 to 36. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. So Jesus is saying two things. One is that there is no credit for natural love. You know that lost folks down at the country club love those who love them? And they do good to those who do good to them. What do we say? You scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. They lend money to folks, don't they? Especially if they're winning in that night's poker game and they expect to get full payment come Monday morning. 
So folks that have no allegiance to God, no resemblance to Him whatsoever, practice some of these. And so if we as Christians want to pat ourselves on the back and dislocate our shoulder saying, well, I love people that love me and I do good to those who do good to me, what reward is that, Jesus says? One person said that if we do that, big round of applause because Stalin and Hitler did the same thing. There's just no credit for natural love. Jesus is calling us not to do the natural but the supernatural. How much better are you than the ordinary person? But what do we usually do? We compare ourselves to who? We don't compare ourselves to Jesus. What do we do? We compare ourselves either to the person sitting in the pew beside us or the worst person that we can possibly find. Because if you've ever shared the gospel with people and asked them about being a sinner, well, they'll say, well, I'm a good person because what? I've never killed anybody. They find the worst possible person to compare themselves to. And we do the very same thing as Christians. And we say, well, I don't do like that and I do good to those who love me and I take care of my family. And we pat ourselves on the back and you go and knock your shoulder out of joint trying to pat yourself on the back. So I want you to chew on a couple of these. Think about this. One, how is your forgiveness and love when you're driving down the road? How many of us treat that guy or girl or whoever it is in the car in front of us like their enemy? Rev up on them. Get right up on them. I'm going to follow them. I mean, I'm thankful that my son back there in the sound booth alive today from what he was saying, the way his cousin was acting last week with road rage. How about this? How about our help given to others without asking for a tax receipt? Drop the mic on that one. What happens in our country, as we were talking about with this Supreme Court decision, about a gay bake, you know, a, a, a person wanting a, a, a cake uh, for a gay person and they refused. What happens if in our country they say no church, and it may very well happen, brothers and sisters, in our lifetime, no church has tax exempt status? Wonder what will happen to the coffers at God's house then? How many folks are going to be willing as Christians? to give the same amount they are given right now when they don't get a tax receipt. Oh, I give, Jesus. Well, yeah, because you're getting something back in exchange. <laughs> Round of applause, good sir. How about this? Our love and prayer for other churches and denominations. I'm not going to say the name of the church, but Marty was telling me before, there's a church in our association that is really in dire straits. We shouldn't applaud that. We shouldn't say, well, I knew that pastor was going to fail. Yeah, we know such and such. He went over there. He's a member over there now instead of a member at our church. Well, that's good. They deserve that. No, that should break our heart. How about our help in picking up our neighbor's trash that blew into our yard? Well, man, his trash has been over here in my yard. His dog has come over here and tore up my roses three weeks in a row. I'm going to shoot that dog and I'm going to go shoot him. How about the kids that are in here? And some of them probably need to go get them out of the nursery and out of children's church so they can hear this. 
How about our honoring of our parents by cleaning up before we're asked, our homework before we're scolded, or chores without rolling our eyes? Yeah. Now, I knew I'd get an amen with that one. Y'all been asleep the whole time. Jimmy says, say that again. Do your homework before they ask you. Do your chores before they ask you. When they ask you to do something, don't go, <laughs> I've jokingly told somebody this week, I said, you know one of my favorite proverbs? The proverb that says that the mocking eye will be yeah. pecked out by ravens. Right. Amen. You know what I'm talking about. People are like, when I share that with them, they're like, mocking eye pecked out by ravens. And I'm like, let me show you a mocking eye. Yeah. <laughs> I tell my kids, you are going to get pecked out by a raven one day. You're going to look real funny. How about this? Now I'd laid it on the kids, now I'm going to lay it on you. How about when we're at work? Stop trying to get by with just the same level everybody else is doing. I think, Jimmy, you got a promotion recently, right? Did you get that promotion because you did the same level of work everybody else was doing? No, I'm not even going to let him answer because I know he doesn't. I know personally he doesn't. We don't, as Christians, just show up to work and say, well, I'm going to do the absolute minimum. But how many Christians show up to work and say, well, that's not my job description. That happens every day at my office. How about our marriages? Well, I'm giving 110% and they're giving minus 25%. Good. Good. Your marriage is a tool and a test to deepen and demonstrate your love and reverence for Jesus Christ. When you are loving your spouse as being unlovable and acting like they are your enemy, you're not loving your spouse. You're loving Jesus Christ Himself. If you're a Christian... When you look at that person, when I look at Vicky, I need to get on my purple sunglasses and understand that what I may say to her or do to her, I am doing to Jesus Christ because Jesus lives inside her. Oh, okay, so you give in your marriage. You do good to somebody who loves you. Congratulations. Clap yourself on the back. No, Jesus said that is not enough. And then finally, our walk with the Lord. How many Christians in churches today are happy or content with a subpar level of Christ-likeness? Well, Jesus, I pray occasionally. Well, Jesus, I read my Bible once a week or maybe once a month. Well, Jesus, I go to church on Sunday morning. He's not giving you a round of applause for that. He has called you to look like Him. You don't compare yourself with the person in the pew beside you. You compare yourself with Jesus Christ. Paul said, you don't, and y'all don't imitate me. Please don't imitate me. My wife will tell you, come and imitate me and some of the stuff I do, you're going to be off, you know, off the track. Paul said, imitate me as I would. Imitate Christ. Imitate Him. So there's no credit for natural love. Final thing, there's eternal credit for supernatural love. Look at what he says. But love your enemies, do good, and lend, expecting nothing in return. Your reward will be great, and you'll be sons of the Most High. For he's kind of the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. So he says your reward will be great. First off, we have to assert that Jesus never urges us 
to serve him just for the sake of reward, right? This is not a dog and pony show in which you show up at the house and you pull out a bag of treats and your dogs are all going crazy and wanting a treat. And Jesus says, oh, you were a good little Christian this week, so here's your reward. That's not what we do it for. But we do have to assert that Jesus says, is it a fact, Jack, that if you do this, that you will have a reward? Yes. And He says your reward will be what size? Teeny tiny? He says, great. And look at what He actually says the reward is. The reward is what? You will be sons of the Most High. That's a Hebrew way of saying you will look like Jesus. Your reward in and of itself is not that you're going to get a $2,200 paycheck in the mail that you weren't expecting. This ain't health, wealth, prosperity, gospel. He says your reward is you will look like Jesus. Is there any greater reward in this life or the next? No. And so as we close, remember I said physically, kids look and act like their parents. I shared a picture of Matthew on his birthday, several pictures, and I threw one in there that was actually me when I was about four or five. Some people were like, yeah, he was a good looking kid then. It's like, that was me. Because parents and kids a lot of times look alike. We should look like King Jesus. And so if you really want to see the radical revolutionary love that we are called to, look no further than Jesus Christ Himself. Amen? And so I want you to look at as we close in two places. One, the upper room, and then a hill called Golgotha. The upper room. Here's Judas. A man that had spent every waking hour with Jesus for three years. Now here's what we know about Judas. He had no faith. The others called Jesus Lord. You know Judas never did? Only Rabbi. Others made great professions of faith. Judas never did. There's no sign he had a relationship. They believe that the order of the disciples is the closeness of their relationship with them. Who's always named first? Peter, James, and John. Who's always named last? Judas. But even worse than that, now he has his heart set on betraying Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. We would say he was his sworn enemy. And so what does Jesus do? In John 13, he washes Judas' feet. That's love, amen, Vicki Cook? If you will wash anybody's feet, that's love. And then what's he do at the table? He dips in a tasty morsel and he hands it to Judas. See, we don't get that, but in that culture, that was a sign of love and friendship. And it's felt to be uh, thought that since uh, Judas was so close that Jesus could hand it to him, that he was sitting in a place of honor. Here's a man that is his sworn enemy. And even in that moment, Jesus is loving that man. You know, that must have really burned into the disciples' mind how Jesus treated Judas after it was all said and done. But now then, I want you to picture a few hours later, Jesus is hanging on a cross and He's bloodied and battered, stripped naked, hardly recognizable even as a human being, and He's barely even alive. His arms are stretched out literally like to embrace the world. 
And listen to what Romans 5 says as he breathed his last breath. Who did he die for? It says this, For while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. But God shows His love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. But hang on, let's go even further. Paul says, For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son. A boy who treated Jesus with contempt for His holiness and His common grace for 29 years, Jesus hung on a cross. Why? Because He loved His enemies. Thank God He loves His enemies. Because He loved me. I wasn't just ungodly. I wasn't just a sinner. I was an enemy of Christ as you were. Do you think the disciples ever forgot that? I don't. When you see love for your enemies that vividly fleshed out, I don't think you ever forget it. And so let's ask ourselves this. One pastor said, Jesus is out to create an army of disciples that look at enemies as He and His Father look at them as people to love and care for, people to provide rain for, people to die for. He's out to change you and me. And so let me ask you, are there some whom you hate and do you by some perverse twist think that that is justified? If so, you're in trouble because Christ really isn't ruling on your heart and in your life. Are you doing good to those that hate you or evil? Well, good. Christ is ruling your heart and your life. Are you blessing those who curse you? If not, Christ sitting on the throne of your heart. Are you praying for those who mistreat you and abuse you? If so, then you are like Christ. So remember, brothers and sisters, we are called to live in the power of the Holy Spirit a radical, unconventional, supernatural life that displays love for our enemies. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for this day. We thank You for this time to come, Father, even with these most difficult words of Jesus and to delve into them. And Father, I pray that each and every one of us will leave out this door different than the way that we came. Father, I pray that You would just prick our hearts and our minds and our conscience, Father, of the ways in which we have failed You, not to love our enemies and do good to those who do not do good to us and to pray for those who abuse us. Father, I pray that we would be people that truly follow after Christ and do these things and live them out in our life. We ask as we come to this time of invitation that you would just bless it, pour your Holy Spirit out upon this place and convict any that may be here today that do not know Jesus as Lord and Savior of their need for that. We ask all this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. So we come to the time of invitation. Think about God for a minute. I told the guys yesterday morning, you know, when we come to our quiet time, do we truly realize what we're coming to do? Fellowship with a God that is three times infinitely holy. And God created you out of love for a relationship with Him and to bring Him glory. And what have we done? 
failed miserably at that. Not one of us in this room has ever loved God with all of our heart and mind and strength. We've robbed Him of glory. And I just read, we're not just sinners, we're not just bad people, we're not ungodly. We are enemies of God. But the Bible is clear that there is one mediator between God and man, and that is Christ, the God-man. And so let me ask you, have you been reconciled to God through Christ? Paul puts it clearly, all that has to happen if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart, God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, with the mouth one confesses and is saved, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And so today, if you are walking as an enemy of God and an enemy of the cross, come today and be reconciled to Him by receiving the gift that is Jesus Christ. Or if God is convicting you of something through this message, come today and just lay that on the altar. If you feel He's calling you to be a member here at Crossway Baptist Church or to follow Him in Believer's Baptism, whatever it is, as we stand and sing, listen to the Lord as He speaks to you this morning. Stand page 300. Without Him I could do nothing Without Him I surely fail Without Him I would be drifting Like a ship without a sail Jesus, oh Jesus do you know him today? Do not turn him away, oh Jesus, oh Jesus. Without him, how lost I would be.